Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide, that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Foundation and uh, the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Dr. Adam Shikrud. He's the chief scientist and co-founder of Spring Health. And we're going to talk about what Spring does and what he does. So, Adam, thanks for coming. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. Yeah, tell me about uh, your background. You know, what, what got you into working with people that have mental health issues? And then I want to ask you about Spring Health from there. Yeah, I, so I came to the U.S. to get my Ph.D., actually mostly working in a psychiatry department at Yale, primarily because I was I was pretty interested in big opportunity for impact in mental health. I think that as many people know who have either gone through treatment themselves or a friend or a family member has gone through treatment, I think there's there's a lot of opportunity for us to do a better job. And, you know, over the years, problems have got worse, you know, the over recent years, even even more obviously during COVID, but even long before that, you know, things like suicide were rising, things like the opioid epidemic were also on the, on the rise. And so I just, you know, for me, mental health was just a huge area of opportunity for us to do something better. And so I came to get my PhD on, uh, on mental illness and ways that we can treat it better. Are there um, different types of mental illness like that you can, not, not obviously there's different types, but I mean, are there different classifications? Um, what I see is that there's people that or told something like, you know, you have cancer or someone wants a divorce, you lost your job or someone dies and it throws you instantly in like to an acute form of depression or, you know, mental disturbance. And then there's chronic people that have it for years and decades. And then there's like the seriously mentally ill, seems like with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, psychosis, you know, suicidal ideation. How do you divide up the different mental conditions you see? Yeah, those are all definitely examples of ways that you can do it. You know, sometimes people think about different diagnosis, right, based on the kind of symptoms or the kind of problems that people have. So if they're, you know, really uh, concerned about the, their eating habits or their body image, then, you know, there are certain kinds of conditions called eating disorders. 
you know, if they have signs of depression or anxiety. And so you can carve it up kind of based on the types of problems that people have. But you mentioned a couple of other ways you can carve it up, right? You could you could think about kind of how people got to that point. Do we think that there might be biological causes? Do we think that it might be primarily attributable to a situation, right? Like grief would be a great example of one of those. Um, and then the third one that you mentioned, kind of severe mental illness, uh, that's also another way that you can think about mental health, particularly the way that we treat mental health conditions based on the level of care, right? So whether someone is primarily going through something, it's a self-guided program, right? Like all of these apps that you can find that allow you to, you know, practice and learn skills on your own, or maybe a, a slightly higher level of care would be when you go and see a professional, like a counselor or a psychiatrist or a therapist, but you still live at home and you still have your your normal job. And, and in that case, we'd call that outpatient care. And then there are, you know, higher levels of care beyond that, maybe days where you have to spend some time at a hospital every day, but you still go home and spend the night with your family all the way up to, you know, people who might need medical supervision all the time. And so they might have to stay in hospital for a little while. And so is your work uh, research-based or is it all clinical? You know, it's spring, like what's the premise of spring health? Yeah, when we when we got started, it was very much in the research field. And and actually, that was kind of one of the one of the reasons why we decided to found Spring. I think as a, as a researcher and as an academic, we'd done so much work and, uh, you know, published all these really exciting studies showing that we can do things better. Uh, but then in academia, you kind of write papers about it and there's, there's really no reward mechanism or there's no, you know, very limited opportunity to actually bring that technology to patients. And so, you know, kind of one of the whole points of founding Spring was that we had all of these things that we could do better and that we actually wanted to go and do it. So I, I would say that for me, I kind of transitioned from initially kind of a mostly academic or research background quite quickly through into this clinical situation where now every day we're delivering, you know, thousands and thousands of visits for, for people uh, across the U.S. and globally. So with um, the Spring Health have a certain protocol that you'll follow or, you know, how does your how does Spring Health work nowadays? Yeah, so uh, we partner with large organizations, so large employers like Adobe or Pfizer or Pepsi or Gap or Whole Foods. And all of those customers, companies basically pay Spring uh, to kind of take care of mental health for them. Uh, and so they they pay us uh, so that we can go and give a free mental health benefit to all of their employees so that if they do have, you know, any kind of uh, concerns related to mental health, they can go to Spring. Uh, we can help them, you know, better understand what their issues are, help them set goals for treatment, help them figure out what kind of solutions, you know, of those levels of care that we talked about. What What is the right level of care for you? We pair them with a care navigator. So this is actually someone who's kind of like your sidekick on a road on a road trip. They're there to just support you through that journey. And then if you do need care, you can see one of our, you know, our counselors or our psychiatrists or our therapists, uh, no matter really what kind of treatment you need in mental health, we can get it for you and, and it will be free or certainly will be covered by your insurance. Well, what are some of the innovative protocols or things that you've figured out in regards to mental health? Is there anything, any breakthroughs that you've, you know, again, figured out in your protocols and treatment? Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, I think the exciting thing about mental health is actually that we can keep on learning for years, right? I think we have so much, so much further to go. Um, I think that initially we had, we developed these technologies really similar to what you see when you buy things online or when you go to something like Netflix, uh, where there are in the background, there are these kind of recommendation engines that try and figure out what content or what you know, in, in our case, what treatment is most likely to work for you. And so I think we initially focused very much on trying to personalize treatment decisions by using things like machine learning that would uh, look at the kind of the, the background that you have, your sociodemographic background, uh, the kind of symptoms that you have, the kind of goals you have, the kind of issues that you have, and really try and personalize the treatment decisions that we make. And I think since then, you know, we, we have continued to implement that work and continue to do research like that. But I think that the scope has really broadened and it's now really more about trying to bring data to the point of care throughout mental health care so that providers can make more informed decisions ultimately. 
But what does that mean? What data and, and how does it help? Yeah, so a, a good example, say, say a, a, you know, a patient comes to you, right? And in, in general, in, in mental health care, you know, a patient will sit down, you'll say, you know, how can I help you? And they'll tell me what, what's been going on. And they will tell you some of their problems, right? And they'll tell you the ones that are top of mind, which is great and is a great heads up. But you'll usually focus the conversation on the things that they tell you, right? And a, a really well-trained clinician might use these kind of, kind of checklists or, or diagnostic manuals that help them ask more you know, thoughtful set of questions to try and understand if there are anything else or if there are any other problems going on in their lives. But, you know, providers are only human, right? And so they, they may forget or they may not have time or, you know, there may just not be an opportunity to cover that in, in that session. And so the way that it works at Spring is that everyone would come through. You would take a short questionnaire about the problems that you have. Uh, and that questionnaire is structured. It's structured, but it's dynamic. And so it asks you more questions about about your, your broader mental health, right? It's not just focused on things like depression or anxiety, but it's actually thinking about lots more things in the background. And that's useful because then it means that when you go and see your provider in the background, we give that provider all of the information we have about you. We tell them, you know, hey, this is a, you know, this is Richard. And these are the things that, um, that he told us that he wants to focus on, you know, but you may want to look at this as well, because we saw some other signs of, for example, eating disorders or for example, alcohol use. Uh, and that's really informative because it means that the providers can make much more accurate diagnosis uh, and they can also have a much more informed conversation with you right off the bat where, you know, patients will generally feel much more heard, you know, be able to make a much more accurate diagnosis, right? Having a more full picture and having, you know, much more data to make that decision. But again, what are some of the, I don't know, the interesting nuances of data that you collect or what are, what are some of the most important points that you've observed that really give you more insight into what's going on with people than maybe other analyses or less complete analyses? Yeah, so uh, I mean, some good examples would be symptoms over the last two weeks, right? Things like uh, very specific phobias or anxieties, maybe being afraid of standing in lines, thinking very carefully about types of sleep problems that people have. You know, I think a lot of people experience sleep problems, but uh, really trying to understand was this, you know, you're waking up in the middle of the night uh, repeatedly, was it that you can't fall asleep initially? Was it that you wake up too early and then can't fall asleep again? All of these things can be can be really informative at an aggregate level when, when you actually train these machine learning algorithms to try and predict what treatment is most likely to work. I think it's kind of goes into this, this core issue in mental health. That... Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. You know, if there was just one symptom that could tell you the right treatment, I think we would already know that, right? Clinicians have, have been trying uh, to do this for a long time and, and they kind of do it in their own practice. So I think if it was as straightforward as just looking at this one symptom and making this one treatment decision, I think we would have already have done it. So instead, what we see is that it's more like patterns of effects across many different, many different variables like income, education status, you know, employment status, as well as all of the symptoms that you have. But what about uh, therapies and treatments? What, uh... I don't know, does this suggest to you new treatments, new therapies, different ways to do things? Definitely different ways to do things. Um, and I, I think that 
in mental health, it's kind of paralysis of choice, right? There are dozens and dozens of different, even just specific medications, right? Just amongst that. And even when we think about therapy, there are dozens of different kinds of therapy that, that you can do. Uh, and those are all quite different. And so definitely helping providers understand what approach is going to work best for you versus for me is incredibly powerful, right? In the, in the original Lancet paper that we published, uh, we actually showed that, that we could increase the recovery rates uh, by about two times. So people who took a treatment that was recommended for them were about two times uh, more likely than average to recover. Uh, and so we're actually talking about pretty significant improvements in treatment outcomes just by doing a better job of, of using the resources that we already have today. Uh, any trends that you're seeing in mental health, you know, uh, especially after or during COVID, how, how has that changed the patient population and what, what bothers them? Definitely, uh, you know, burnout uh, has, has been a huge one, as well as grief and bereavement, right? Lots of people, unfortunately, did die during, during the pandemic and are sometimes lost when the stats get, get really big. It kind of the actual individual level phenomenon has really been lost. Another thing that I would say that is really interesting is, is for a long time, a lot of people would think that mental health care really was about that face-to-face provider connection, right? This kind of, you know, you have to go and sit in the couch, sit on the couch next to the provider and talk about your problems. And and I think that COVID really turned that upside down. I think before we saw uh, maybe a trend towards people being willing to do treatment over video or by the phone. Uh, and I think that, you know, COVID, much like everyone's job became remote overnight, or at least majority of people had to work from home, that, that kind of really accelerated a trend in mental health care towards uh, trying to do as much treatment as possible by video. Uh, and so that, that trend has been super interesting to see to the point where now, actually, if you go and speak to providers, many of them are not willing to do face-to-face care anymore. They've already been doing this for, for a year, nearly two years now, and they've found it very effective. And so the, the flexibility that they get, the flexibility that the patients get uh, is really something that they're not looking to give up anymore. What, uh, what do you see as the future of Spring Health's protocols? Um, any changes coming up or research that you're evaluating that's going to change how you do things? I'm really excited about two things. I would say I'm really excited about us being able to to broaden the type of care that we offer. So, you know, although it's it's awesome that that most people can make really good progress in this outpatient setting, speaking to a therapist or, or a psychiatrist, lots of people do need much higher levels of uh, of support, right? And so, when we think about helping people get you know get residential treatment or things like rehab, that's really challenging for people. It's certainly financially prohibitive for a lot of people. Uh, it's very hard to get access to a bed. It's very hard to understand the quality of the facilities. And so, you know, we've been going really deep on on trying to help people get higher levels of care through Spring, build out all of those networks so that we can actually help help people in a much more comprehensive way, no matter the level of care that they need. And then, kind of on the lower end of things, or maybe a more common issue, is, is really understanding how exercise can help mental health. You know, I, I think that it's important that we understand that mental health really is a, a whole spectrum. People can have very, very different, you know, needs and, and very different levels of impairment. And and I think that there are things that we can do for everyone, things like exercise, things like meditation or mindfulness uh, that, that can really help a lot of people, especially when we think about the context of burnout. So also really excited about that and building out protocols where we can think about how do we how do we put together structured exercise programs for people that are particularly tailored towards their mental health? How does, how does that play into people's motivation, for example? Does it help them engage in that? Does it actually help them you know, feel less stressed, feel less burned out, help them out with their, fa- their friends or their family life? If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Do you feel like you're able to help a significant number of your patients, or is this something that it's very difficult to help people and has a low success rate? I would say that the ability to help is probably my favorite thing about the job, to be honest. We see when we launch 
with new populations, right? Even these large distributed retailers or manufacturers, we're opening up mental health care and mental health services to, to a population that historically has not had access to them. Even if they tried to go and get access to to mental health services, the wait times can be tremendously long. Uh, it can be financially prohibitive for them to do it. And so opening up access to this much broader population is, is really huge. And so we see uh, massive levels of engagement, like one in four employees at a whole company um, in places like General Mills, right? And then when they do go into care, right, if, if they do need support, like if they need therapy or if they need medications, uh, when they go into treatment with us, we, we kind of continually track their progress, like whether they're actually reaching their goals, whether their symptoms are getting better clinically, uh, and we're seeing that the, those results are actually world-class as well. So on the order of 70 to 80% of patients making improvement in their mental health burden compared to what you might see in a clinical trial, right, where maybe 40, 45% of people would see improvement. So yeah, really proud of both both opening up the access and also increasing the quality of the care that we deliver. Well, what is it that really um, takes the success rate up from 40 to 80%? Is it the follow-up, the personalization? Like, what do you think it is? I think I think it's that I think I think it's more right. I think if you look at large scale studies, you see that some some kind of operational thing can be really detrimental to people's mental health. So, for example, wait times. Right. If, if people try and get care and then they're not able to get care, uh, you see that the national average in the U.S. actually, if you try and get health uh, mental health services through your health plan, the average wait time is about 21 days. And that has been shown to be really detrimental to people's you know recovery rates. Uh, so I think we we start by helping people get treated. I think we help them get treated much earlier, both within that, you know, by eliminating that wait period, uh, but also by, by being more aware of mental health services, uh, by reducing stigma, by in- increasing access to those services so that people can get treatment before the problem has, you know, escalated and got a lot worse. So I think it starts by it starts by reduce, improving the awareness around mental health care, helping more people get services, helping them get services quicker. And then when they do get into care, be more thoughtful about the type of care that, that we give them and try and do a better job of, of right-sizing that care, of personalizing it to them, and then tracking their progress once they're in once they're in care is also tremendously effective. So kind of some of the things that we've learned from other chronic chronic disease management or other, other chronic illnesses like things like diabetes, uh, in, in conditions like that, we would continue to track someone's blood sugar all the time. And you kind of tailor your treatments based on how good or bad the blood sugar is, right? And so we're definitely bringing those exact same principles over to mental health care so that we can tailor uh, the treatment for someone's mental health problems uh, in the same way during treatment. Are there any um, mental conditions that seem to be like, you know, intractable? What would you say are some of the most difficult mental conditions to help people with? You know, I I don't like to say that anything's intractable. You know, there are certainly things that are more challenging to treat, but I think that treatment can generally be pretty helpful across the whole board, regardless of the condition that people have. You know, there are certainly some, you know, personality disorders that are pretty uh, difficult to treat, you know, certain addictions that might be difficult to treat. Eating disorders, you know, can be extremely challenging to treat. Um, But I think that I think it's important that people know that that things can get better and that that we do have tools to help people get better. And, you know, the sooner those they seek those tools, the better the chance we have of treatment. Okay, well, very good. Adam, what's the best way for people to find out more about Spring Health and about you? Uh, You can definitely check out our website, uh, www.springhealth.com, or you can shoot me an email. My email is just adam at springhealth.com. Okay, very good. Well, Adam, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. 
If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.